this time in her capacity as White House Press Secretary's Kaylee McEnany. Kaylee Owies, thanks for being here. Great to see you. Good to join you, David. Kaylee, look, before we get going, uh, we had you on as a campaign advisor last time. I want you to explain to our viewers why the difference this time around, at least from a legal perspective, just so they understand and don't get confused. Yeah, last time I joined you, um, it was in my voluntary role with the campaign. Uh, believe it or not, when you come to government, you don't lose your First Amendment right to political speech. Uh, you just have to separate it. Ethically speaking, the Hatch Act says if you engage in political speech, do it without government resources, um, away and apart from your White House title and resources. And that's exactly what I've done, uh, complied with my ethics, but at the same time, not lost the same First Amendment, which gives the press corps here uh, the right to ask questions. It so, too, gives me the right to engage in political speech. All right, so sounds good. So let's talk White House uh, stuff, if you will. Uh, I do want to ask about the transition effort, not about the, when I say transition effort, by the Biden campaign. Uh, they're talking about uh, that they want more cooperation. What's the view at the White House as it relates to cooperation at all in this transition period, at least according to what they, they believe? So the White House has done everything it is statutorily required to do in the event of a transition uh, to prepare for that. Um, it, ultimately, it is the GSA, which is separate from the White House, that determines when a race reaches ascertainment. In other words, when a race um, has been called. So we will leave it to them uh, to do that. But for us, um, we've done our part in providing for the transition requirements that are, are statutorily required. Kaylee, what do you make of some of the criticism that the Biden folks are saying that it, the, the, the lack of a transition process, the way they see it, hurts the pandemic response and coronavirus? What, what's the response from the White House to that? Yeah, it's an absurd proposition when you look at what President Trump has done um, with COVID is he set up a task force. He set up a operation called Operation Warp Speed, which is bringing us a vaccine in record time, the fastest ever. Uh, he set up a testing system, the most testing in the entirety of the world. Um, he's the stockpile, which was left empty by Obama Biden. He replenished. So we are ready uh, for the fall. So this president has set up a working system to address COVID, um, and that's really just smoke and mirrors that you're hearing from the other side. You know, the vaccine being getting done will be on this president's watch no matter what happens. Uh, I wonder whether the history books will reflect that. I guess that's a question for another day. But what do you make of some of that news coming out after the election? Not to talk about the election, but the fact that the president would be, I would think, concerned that some of that didn't happen before the election. Yeah, we certainly hope that wasn't the case, that anyone uh, withheld a vaccine. It is curious um, that the standards change for what would ordinarily be needed to meet a vaccine, um, and then they were heightened. So, you know, there is that, but we certainly hope that wasn't the case uh, because a vaccine uh, should be should be a, a safe one, an effective one, and pushed through at the fastest pace possible for the American people. And that's exactly what this president has done. Back in on January 13th, he partnered with Moderna, uh, and that's when Democrats were pursuing impeachment. He was already pursuing a safe and effective vaccine, one that has come to fruition and done very well in phase three clinical trial, 94.5% effective, and Pfizer has well. And that's thanks to this president tearing down bureaucracy and barriers and paving the way for a safe and effective vaccine. Kaylee, we've seen a lot of governors around uh, the country now calling for some really uh, tighter COVID restrictions, even uh, implementing on these Thanksgiving plans, even Joe Biden. And this is what people were afraid of if Joe Biden was going to become president. This is what Joe Biden said about Thanksgiving. I want you to just quickly take a listen. They strongly urge that if, in fact, uh, 
we're going to have Thanksgiving with anyone, that we limit it to a maximum, maximum. They, they suggest five people, maximum 10 people, socially distanced wearing masks, and people who have quarantined. So... Well, Kaylee, I guess you better figure out which family members you like the most. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, you know, when you look at some of the restrictions across the country in Oregon, for instance, where if you bring more than six family members, you could face 30 days of jail time. These are draconian restrictions. The government quite literally coming into your home and telling you the number of family members you can have in your home. Uh, we still have freedom in this country. We have a constitution. The American people, guess what? Believe it or not, are smart and responsible. And I say believe it or not because uh, the liberals and the Democrats treat uh, the American people like their children and need to be told and instructed what to do. And the American people understand, wash your hands, socially distance, wear a mask, but you don't need the government and the nanny state coming in your home and telling you which family members are permitted. Uh, we trust the American people. They've made smart decisions so far and they'll continue to do so. And while we provide guidelines, we certainly don't threaten jail time uh, if you meet with your family on Thanksgiving. Haley, the media is at it again, playing the drama game. Some of the headlines out there saying that the president bunkered in the White House, hunkered down in the White House. Uh, we haven't seen him in a while. Why don't you set the record straight? What is he doing there uh, as uh, this has all been unfolding since Election Day? Oh, he's hard at work. I um, mean, you know, I was talking to the president this morning about all the great news with the vaccine. He's monitoring COVID. Um, he's hard at work. And it's so interesting to hear from the media uh, who doesn't seem to mind when others on the other side of the aisle don't take questions um, and hide away. This president's been the most accessible in history, has been doing anything but hiding. He's been in the Oval Office hard at work, has taken more questions than any president in modern history. But leave it to the media once again uh, to try to tell the American people a different story. But uh, Thanks to uh, the, the ingenuity, the, the smarts of the American people, they see right through the games of the mainstream media. I want to talk about Afghanistan and some of the troop uh, withdrawal uh, that is planning to take place. Can you tell me a little bit more about what is expected to happen in terms of the timeline? I know there's been some criticism by people like Mitt Romney and Ben Sass, kind of the usual cast of characters, if you will. I don't mean to dismiss it as cast of characters, but you knew this was coming. A lot of people say now is not the time to withdraw, but it seems like 20 years has been a pretty long time. It has been. Uh, this president has always fought against endless wars um, and fighting to bring our, our servicemen and women, our brave heroes, home. He's doing just that. We'll be drawing down to 2,500 troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. We'll be doing it in a way that is safe, but in a way that is necessary. And, you know, we're hopeful that by May uh, we can officially have brought those two wars to a close. Um, and of course, we remember um, today the uh, 6,900 men and women who have lost their lives in Iraq and Afghanistan and the immense and immeasurable sacrifice they have made for our freedoms. I have to ask you about Mark Esper and also uh, Chris Krebs uh, over at DHS. Uh, you know, the media wants to call it the great purge. <laughs> uh, what, what do you make of uh, some of those firings? I mean, they were terminated right away. Uh, maybe Chris Chris Kreps, if you can talk a little bit about that, because he calls the election uh, security, you know, uh, just basically a wonderful job. And obviously the president had an issue with that. 
Yeah, as the president said, he put out a highly inaccurate statement um, by saying this was the most secure election we've ever had. Um, if it's the most secure election we've ever had and we find three tranches of votes in Georgia that were not counted, amounting to more than 5,000 votes not counted, it uh, doesn't sound that secure to me finding 234 pages of affidavits in Detroit alleging fraud and a lack of observation. Doesn't seem like the most secure election to me finding that in California there was a man uh, who had 8,000 ballots registering them as homeless people and deceased people, um, and they were illegitimate registrations, does not seem that secure to me. If it's the most secure election we've ever had, boy, we better uh, question every election before this moment. Yeah. And by the way, I want to talk about big tech before we, we let you go. Uh, obviously, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Jack Dorsey were on the Hill the other day. Uh, Zuckerberg came out and said he thought it was just a wonderful uh, in election integrity effort on Facebook's part. I want to get your reaction to that, first of all. Yeah, I heard a lot of apologizing yesterday, apologizing for Twitter, censoring the New York Post for two weeks, apologizing for blocking Mark Morgan of Commission and Border Patrol. Um, I got a public apology from Instagram after they shut down my account for simply posting information from a Washington Post article. Uh, they unblocked me and apologized. But apologies these days in big tech seem a lot more like admissions of guilt um, because every time they apologize, they're apologizing to a conservative, a President Trump supporter for some form of illegitimate censorship. By the way, Section 230, do you have a sense that anything will get done under this president's watch or is that an FCC? A lot of people are wondering, can the FCC change the regulations or does the law have to be changed by Congress? Where does the Trump administration kind of factor into all of that? Yeah, I'll leave that to the president, not get ahead of future policy, but um, he has expressed dissatisfaction with Section 230, as have some of our counterparts on the other side of the aisle. Having absolute immunity from any sort of accountability um, and not being able to be held accountable um, when you have these citizens across the country um, suffering these kinds of uh, egregious um, uh, oppression and uh, lack of free speech and having no, um, no s valve to uh, litigate those claims in court is problematic. So the president's expressed dissatisfaction with 230, Section 230, but I won't get ahead of him in terms of uh, what a future policy would look like. Haley McEnany, always great to see you. Stay, uh, stay warm out there in that uh, windy White House today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, David. All right. Uh, Kaylee McEnany, uh, always uh, able and willing to come on. Uh, and look, uh, we're asking questions. Uh, hmm, Afghanistan, hmm, big tech. Uh, you know, a few things that people might care about other than all of the drama that the mainstream media loves to concoct on a daily basis. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the water cooler. All right, here's a pretty big story that you're not going to see much of in the so-called mainstream media. Hunter Biden back in the news, and that's not good news for his father, Joe Biden. Now, remember when Joe Biden said repeatedly that he never spoke to his son about his overseas business dealings in Ukraine? Well, here's the big New York Post smoking gun headline today. Biden's secret emails, boom. Basically, new emails showing 
that then-Vice President Joe Biden actually was introduced to a top executive at a Ukrainian energy firm by his son, and it came less than a year before Biden put major pressure on the Ukrainian government to fire the prosecutor who was investigating the company. Now, here's what the email from the executive reads. It says, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving me an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It really is an honor and pleasure. All right, look, bottom line is, what's up with all that? I mean, was Biden lying all this time? We're going to follow up. Meanwhile, we want to bring you the second part of our conversation with former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Here he is. Look, there's a couple of issues I want to talk to you about. I want to get to mail-in balloting in a moment. I'm sure you have a lot to say about that, from, especially from a legal perspective. But what is happening in your city in New York? Uh, the media has been relatively silent when it comes to Antifa and Black Lives Matter uh, as it relates to uh, some of the destruction that's happened in New York and other places around the country. What, what do you think this means for the future of New York and many liberal cities across the country? Their survival is at stake in this election. If uh, the Democrats win and Democrat control of these cities is taken to Washington, it'll be the end of the cities. You have to look at the horrible history that these cities have had with the Democrat Party. I mean, I can just name a few most prominent ones, New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, San Francisco, now Seattle and Portland. You look at uh, St. Louis. You look at those cities, and with the exception of New York, it's uh, Baltimore, it's been like 50 or 60 years of one-party rule. And it's been 50 or 60 years of decline in the poor areas to the point where there's been no progress ever, and it's taken for granted. And the politicians who represent them ignore it, become very famous, are lauded somehow as civil rights leaders, and then another interesting phenomenon, most of their wives become millionaires. Mm -hmm. I, could, I could tell you that on the part of a number of uh, ones who represented New York and did nothing for the area. But, for example, Charlie Wrangell's wife became a multi-millionaire. He was probably a well-known scandal mm -hmm. that was protected because he was in the House leadership. Um, Cummings, who just died, his district in, in, in Baltimore, he even once said there's been no progress here in 25 years. He just forgot that he had represented it for 20 of those 25 years, which meant he did nothing. It's a terrible thing. It's, a, uh, it's described very, very well in Horowitz's book uh, about, um, oh, Blitz. about the, yeah, about, about the, the, the unholy bargain between the Democrat Party and the uh, poor black areas where they basically con them, put them in the dependency, and then count on their vote, like at 95-5. Well, the more dependency they are, the more control they have, the more Democrat they are. Well, and that's a good transition to the Democratic Party and mail-in voting. Uh, look, this president uh, has, has said, you, you've known him very well, he said, look, I'm not necessarily going to commit to anything in terms of whether it be a peaceful transition of power. He's basically, let's wait and see. What, what's your view about what do you think will happen? And do you think the president, uh, what's, what's the game plan November 3rd and on? The game plan is to make sure that the election is a lawful election. It's not about it's not about peace or no peace. It's not about that kind of thing. It's about making sure that this is decided fairly and squarely in court, if it has to be, and that a lot of their cheating that we know you hear a story every day now. Yeah. I, if 
if the New York Times was ever right, and it never was because they, they're big liars, they, they like to say there's no voter uh, issue. That's like the CNN reporter standing in front of uh, the riots in Portland and people are getting shot in the back. And he says, this is a peaceful riot today, a peaceful protest. Today has been a day of peaceful protest and the blood is coming over his head. I mean, I, I, I almost can't believe what liars they are. Every day in any paper anywhere, you're going to find examples of voter fraud. 90% of it has been to help the Democrat ba ballots with Trump's name on it destroyed. A thousand, two thousand. Children getting their parents' ballot, they're pro-Democrat, parents are conservative. They vote for the parents. They send it in for the parents in situations like that. Harvesting, including with that um, horrible congresswoman. I don't want to say which one, because I can't remember if it's uh, Tlaib or the other one. But one of, them, one of them was going around. I don't know. I think it was the one who married a brother. It was Elon um, Omar in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, Omar. That's the one who was married to her brother, right? Well, that's the that's right. the allegation. Well, she, was alleged, she was alleged to be married to her brother in order to come into the United States illegally. I'm sure that will not be investigated because problem with our Republican prosecutors is they're they're fr they're frightened. They're frightened of racism. They're frightened of being vilified by the newspapers. They're frightened of not getting a job. This is like a reverse McCarthy period and worse. If you're a oh, conservative, way, if you support yeah. if you support Trump, people tell you don't wear your Trump hat if you can go to dinner. Nobody tells you not to wear your Biden hat. We don't do that to them. We don't. Yeah. I, I want to ask you before I, I have you here. So I need to ask you about the Durham report where there's been talk that that might not come out now before the election. Disappointing. Unconscionable. Not just disappointing. I mean, I know he has evidence about how, and it's coming out. If anybody now doubts that Hillary Clinton developed the Russian collusion plot, they're just so biased they, they'll never be able to function in life properly. The last, the last uh, memo that came out is the coup de grace. I don't need anything more than Brennan writing a note to the president in Brennan's handwriting, saying that Hillary and Hillary's people are developing a counterplot of Russian collusion to take emphasis of what would surely be a criminal case for handling of the computer. That's in Brennan's handwriting. That goes back to mid-July of 2016. The election still had months to go. This was Peter Strzok's plan to stop him from being president. But then he had a insurance policy. I'm quoting him now. Had an insurance policy to take him out or continue to be the insurance policy. So from the very moment the Russian plot emerged, they knew it came from Hillary Clinton. Brennan knew it, Obama knew it, and they're Mr. sitting there Mayor. watching. They're watching this, and they know it. It means they're totally dishonest, dishonorable. They're not patriots. It comes pretty close to treason. Rudy Giuliani. Next, conservative women under attack. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, look, as we uh, head towards the end of the show, not that we're at the end of the show. We're kind of like, I don't know, midway or so. But look, enough with the elections, even though you know I'm going to talk to my next guest about the elections. But we need to have a little bit of a break. Oh, my gosh. Uh, as I like to say, oi, gavolt. Uh, joining me now, uh, actor, director, producer. How many more titles can I give this man? Kevin Sorbo uh, with us uh, from Florida. Hey, uh, Kevin, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, you can throw in good guy, speaking the truth kind of guy, uh, <laughs> fighting the good fight kind of guy. How about that? That sounds good. Truth teller, Kevin Sorbo, uh, joining us here. Uh, hey, Kevin, I want to put up a couple of tweets about this election that you, you've put out. Uh, if I can get to them here, let's just put them up on the screen since I can't really uh, read all that well anyhow. But you've been talking about uh, lots of different tweets. Uh, this one, you say Joe Biden has gotten more votes than any other president ever, even more than Obama. That sounds totally legit. I thought that was a pretty uh, entertaining, if you will. Talk about truth-telling. And you have another one up here uh, as well. We'll get to that in a second. I love it when dead people participate in our elections on behalf of the Democrats. <laughs> shows, <laughs> shows true American spirit. Uh, Kevin, what do you what's your take on this election? I know uh, you have obviously been following it closely, and you've got a few things to say, I'm sure. Well, you know, when I tweet, I, tweet, I, I throw a little sarcasm in there as well, obviously. I hope some people get that. Uh, you know, you got half the country out there that's trying to get me off uh, Facebook and Twitter. It doesn't matter what I say. I can say it's a beautiful day and they attack me. It's just so funny. Mm -hmm. um, you know what? It's insane. It's insane going on right now. When they when they change the voting rules and all that, I mean, with the, voter fraud has been around forever. And it just has reached an all-time high right now. And it's unbelievable what we're going through and what people will do. To, to try to win an election. And the, the technology we have, I know there's hackers out there, but are you telling me that we can't just have an honest election? But what I'd like to do is just go back to the old fashioned way. You go in and vote in person and you have an ID with you. It's as simple as that. If you need an ID to get a gun, if you need an ID to buy alcohol and need an ID to drive, why, why are we fighting about this thing saying it's racist to tell people they have to ID to vote? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. But um, we'll see how this plays out. E either way, there's going to be uh, a lot of angry people on either side. Yeah, it's really it's really too bad. And, you know, it's interesting. You're on to something there because I, mean, it, I would think, if anything, this election shows that something's got to change. I mean, we can't be waiting a week, two weeks, a month uh, for results. I mean, if you're going to do ma mail and balloting, which, believe me, the whole massive mail and balloting thing's ridiculous to begin with. But if you're going to do it, I mean, you have to think about, well, how about you get it in before Election Day so we don't have this madness that goes on afterwards? Yep, I agree, 100%. It's got to change. Yeah. All right, let me uh, talk to you about some of the projects you've got working, uh, especially, uh, let me read you, I say read you, you know all about it because you, you star in it, but uh, Against the Tide, Finding God in an Age of Science. I want you to talk about it on the other side, but first here's a little clip from it. Let's take a look. Religion is a fiction that just is never challenged. I believe that the public need to hear that there is another side. And that's why I'm here, too to have you help me to understand and follow the evidence. I do argue that there is evidence for the existence of an intelligent God behind the universe. Christianity answers the question, who is this God? How do we know that God came here in, in basically human form? How do we know that? Why don't we meet in the place where it all began? Kevin, tell us more about it. You know, it really came out of the birth of a movie I did called God's Not Dead. And yep. um, there's, 
I challenge a student that I play an atheist college professor, and I always joke that that's redundant. All I have to say is college professor. But anyway, um, I, I challenge this, this one student who has a belief in God. We have a series of debates. He brings up a John Lennox uh, uh, argument, a quote that he did when he was debating either Hawkins, uh, Dawkins or Hitchens, one of the other famous atheists. We show a number of those uh, different debates in, the, in this documentary. It, we spent three weeks in Oxford, England, where John lives. He's a retired math professor there. He's got like five doctorates, speaks six languages. We went to Israel for two weeks. It's an amazing journey. This is uh, apologetics for dummies, okay? John speaks in very cliff note, simple version tones to let uh, Christians of the world have the proper ammunition to fight against uh, you know, the, the anger and hatred coming in from people that want God out of everything in our lives. And we're seeing where that's getting us now in this world right now, aren't we? I mean, America's turned into such a secular place. Uh, and you see the riots and the lootings and people killing people over having different political points of view and beating people with bats and tire irons. Do you think of any of those people doing those things, this, this evil, wicked deeds that they're doing, if they had any biblical principles, any values in their life? So we're, we're becoming a very lost nation right now. We got to find a place where there's more there's more conversation without anger and, and hatred and divisiveness more than anything else. We need to get together and have real talks. I know people aren't going to all turn and become Christians, but this documentary, everybody should see because it's incredibly educational. Yeah, 100 percent on all of that. So where can people uh, check this out? Is this a Fathom event then? It's a Fathom event, but unusual unusual because we get three different dates on it. So it's going to be November 19th, November 20th, and November 23rd. Go to againstthetide.movie. That's againstthetide.movie. Plug, go look at the site, look at the extended trailer, put in your a zip code, and it'll show what theater near you to see this uh, documentary. It's an amazing, amazing educational tool, and I really want people to, uh, to support it and get out there and just take a look at it. Make up your own mind. Yeah, by the way, you are, uh, it is still the number one Christian movie streaming on Amazon before The Wrath. Uh, I'm curious about that, and also maybe you can talk about that, and also as we have about a minute and a half or so left, talk to me a little bit about what COVID has done to this, uh, the, the business right now, because I, I would think a lot of things are kind of in limbo right now. Yeah, I mean, Before the Wrath is, a, is an amazing documentary that I only narrated that one. Brent Miller put it together. He's the director of this thing. Mm -hmm. um, it it's, it's pieced together in such a way that um, you, you, you go back 2,000 years with actors portraying biblical characters during that time, but it's mixed with scholars, uh, intellectuals, professors dealing with the book of Revelation. You don't have to be a Christian to watch this thing. It's a very interesting look at that final book, and uh, once again, very educational, very telling. In a time right now, led by COVID, right, we have a lot of fear in yeah. the world right now, and we have, uh, you know, fear is an amazing weapon, and a government of every level is using it to control our lives. Um, I'm all for uh, protecting people that have pre-existing conditions. I'm all for that. But I think what we're doing is destroying so many millions of lives and businesses that, uh, you know, a third-generation corner grocery store isn't essential, but Walmart is essential. Right. There's a lot of things going on out there. And in my business, I just finished shooting eight episodes of a new uh, half-hour yeah. comedy. We did three COVID tests a week. Yeah. Um, we everybody passed for the whole five weeks we shot. We kind of would normally be about two and a half months. Yeah. Got to Got to run, Kevin. I just heard you there at the end, but I saw the wave. Thanks so much, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Good luck on everything. All right, back in a moment with the last sip. 
VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, look, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that religious liberty is under attack in America. You can look no further than California. We're going to have a lot of stories about California religious liberty coming up uh, on the program uh, in the future weeks, especially after the election. It's not going away. I mean, you cannot worship. There, there are many places in California where you can actually not worship. Go to church indoors. If you go and worship indoors, you will be fined. As a matter of fact, there are pastors out there saying, hey, look, we're going to do it anyhow and uh, come you know what or high water. All right, hell or high water. That's what they're saying. Uh, anyhow, in Idaho, there's a very interesting situation. 150 people or so went into the Moscow City Hall. Uh, they actually were outside praying and singing hymns, and then the police showed up and they got arrested. We talked to Gabriel Wrench, one of those folks that was arrested. Let's take it from the top as to what happened. Yes. Uh, so our city council on July 2nd voted in a resolution that required everyone to wear a mask where they cannot social distance. Now, keep in mind, I'm in Moscow, Idaho, which is in Latah County. Idaho overwhelmingly is conservative, except for my county and one other county in Idaho. So I'm in a liberal county. And on June, July 2nd, they voted into this resolution. Well, my church, the way we protest is we go sing psalms in downtown, or we go sing psalms like we did at, on uh, September 23rd uh, in at City Hall. On September 21st, our city council voted to extend the resolution through January 5th. So it's just, and, and also keep in mind, there's no definable emergency scenario in our county. In fact, the emergency health order that our council signed in to become a resolution, they didn't define what the emergency was. You, you can't okay. define it. They, didn't, uh, they also didn't define what uh, metrics w would look like to be able to get out of the health emergency order. We've had zero hospitalizations and no deaths in our county since March. Yeah. Virtually, excuse me, virtually zero. We, maybe, we might have had about, I think, three hospitalizations. So on September 21st, the council voted to extend the health resolution to require everyone to wear a mask where they couldn't social distance. And so on Tuesday, our pastors decided, well, hey, let's go do a psalm sing at City Hall in the parking lot. And so on Tuesday, uh, so on Wednesday, September 23rd, we gather about 445, right after everyone's kind of getting off work, we gather at 445 to sing psalms. And there's about 150 of us. The cops were present. And the cops had told my pastor that, hey, if no one's social distancing and not wearing a mask, then we will cite. We will um, eat, cite and potentially arrest. And so I was standing on the edge of uh, the crowd. And so the cops, I was just the first one that the cops could reasonably walk up to. And the cops mm -hmm. asked my mom, who was standing next to me, hey, is, are you with this person? And I said, yes. Uh, my mom said, yes, this is my son. And then I put my arm around my friend next to me and said, um, this is my friend obviously signaling that I'm not social distancing, not wearing a mask. Right. And so um, then they asked for my ID. I did not hand them over my ID because I did not recognize that as a legitimate question uh, in this scenario. I'm practicing my First Amendment rights. I'm practicing sure. my my First Amendment rights to, excuse me, I had to turn off the air conditioner. <laughs> I'm yeah. practicing my First Amendment rights 
to exercise uh, my freedom of religion, my freedom of speech, my right to petition, and my right to assemble, all in one. And so I said, officer, you don't have to do this. Uh, you, your duty is to defend my constitutional rights, not the mayor's resolution, not to enact the mayor's resolution. So we went back and forth, and then he just said, well, I, I give me your ID one more time. I wouldn't give it, and then he proceeded to arrest me. As we're singing Psalm 20 in the background, where it says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the Lord our God. <laughs> yeah, how appropriate that that psalm was being sung at the time. All right, so then what happens? So, so we've got a, a couple minutes left in the segment. So to, to, to condense it all, what happens at that point? You go, where do they take you? So uh, I got arrested and they took me to Latah County Jail where there was deputies at the jail, not social distancing and not wearing a mask while I'm in prison, you know, while I'm in jail for two hours. And then and then they released me. And as I'm walking out, they're releasing me. And every, every deputy or um, uh, PD police officer that came up, I was just preaching at him. I was like, you guys know this is wrong. This is not right and everything. And, and one of the things uh, I, I said actually in, in the jail cell while – um, people would come up to me and talk to me, but get information from me or whatever. I said, you know, the same, the same courage that it took. I'm no, I'm no Rosa Parks. Don't take, don't take me as, as acting like I'm right. a Rosa Parks here, but the same courage that it takes to stand up against our unconstitutional mask mandate and the same courage that it takes to stand up against Jim Crow laws. It's the same courage. It's the same muscle at work. The thing is, is that it should be easier to stand up against our unconstitutional mask mandate than it was to stand up against yeah. Jim Crow laws. And this is just how far we've gone as a country that we've lost this courage backbone. Gabriel, what's been the reaction there in the community? I mean, I'm not sure of the, the leanings. I'm assuming, is it conservative, liberal? Where, where, in other words, what's the community's reaction been and, and the fallout uh, since, positive or negative? Yeah, you know, it's, it's polarized. Uh, our community significantly. I mean, two days That's after I was driving around, it really is. Two days after I was driving around town, everyone knows me. I mean, I have a, I have a, I'm a host of a Christian TV show called Cross Politics, so people already kind of knew me from that. But then I got arrested, and then you know, I go on uh, Laura Ingram, I go on Glenn Beck, President Trump retweets my arrest. It just goes all over the place. So I'm driving around town, and and I'm constantly getting flipped off in in my car. It's it's, it's been really just divisive. It's been unbelievable. And I guess for the future, we've got about a minute left. Uh, what, what's your biggest concern as it relates to the future of where this could be going? Because th this, it seems like this could only potentially be the beginning. And, and, and there's a lot of nefarious people out there that are taking advantage of a very uh, serious health situation. Yeah. So, and again, you got to be able to find an emergency in, in our area. And you can't. You can't define an emergency in our area. So, uh, people don't understand that the that there's certain liberties that are be conditioned to be taken away in all this. I mean, what country requires uh, you to wear a piece of cloth on your face? I mean, I think of Saudi Arabia. I can think of you know Islamic jihadic countries. Those those are the countries that require you to wear a piece of cloth on your face. And so we're there's certain liberties that I don't think we understand that we're losing now as we're being conditioned. I'm in Texas right now. Governor Abbott's required everyone to wear a mask. And we should absolutely make it as difficult, as hard as possible, wherever you go, that this is, you know, si the science is out on this. Studies show that even cloth masks don't work for the general public. The CDC up on their still on their website says that masks do not work for the general public. It still says that on their website. And yet, you know, Dr. Fauci, of right. course, in March was saying don't wear a mask. And now he's saying wear a mask. I mean, wow. we're, we're being conditioned in a really tragic way. You know, Gabriel Wrench uh, may be an evangelical Christian. It's not just happening to Christians in this country. Orthodox Jews are furious with Governor Cuomo in New York. 
he's restricting uh, worship services there in certain capacities. So it's hitting all faiths, all time in America. Back in a moment with the last set. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. Okay, we're going to talk, uh, obviously, about Election Day. Let me give you my top five states, okay? I'm just going to list them. We don't need to put up a whole big graphic. And it's very simple, okay? Uh, Trump's got to win Florida. He's got to win North Carolina. Then we move to the Rust Belt. And you got Wishigan, Wishigan. I did it again. I, I continue to say Wishigan. That is the 51st state. Anyhow, whatever. Uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. That's the ball game, folks. We're going to look at this in two tiers tonight. Uh, the first tier is at Florida, North Carolina, and also Georgia. Let's see how those results go. President Trump has to get through those states first. If he gets there, then he goes to the bonus round, the electoral bonus round. And that goes way, I'm pointing this way, which is the Rust Belt. Those are those three states uh, that I just uh, mentioned. All right, so uh, can he do it? Well, look, when it comes to enthusiasm, we have seen tens of thousands of people at these Trump rallies, including a little dancing by the president. I'm trying to do that. I, I mean, I look really ridiculous right about now. I can't even do it. Uh, and honestly, let's be honest, he really can't either in terms of like dancing. Like you're not, he's not going to be on Dancing with the Stars. I can guarantee you that. Though, then again, in this world, you never know if he might show up next season. Who knows? Well, he hopes he doesn't show up next season, by the way, maybe in four seasons from now. Uh, but look, let's talk about energy on the ground. Okay, so, so as Ralph Reed told us uh, on a previous show, he, and he's right, we're about to witness the bit, biggest political science experiment in history. In other words, Joe Biden and the Biden campaign, they are up with television ads galore. Donald Trump not doing as much on television. Instead, they're concentrating on the ground game. That's the key. Will we see MAGA Nation, the silent majority, show up on election day? We all know the deal. If they do, it's over. Biden loses and he can go home to his dark winter and go back to the basement. If not, it's going to be Donald Trump. Uh, and we're going to wait and see. I will say this. Listen to this statistic from the Trump campaign. 10 million phone calls. That's what they made in all of 2016. 10 million phone calls. In one week alone, the Trump campaign just this past week made 10 million phone calls in one week. Is MAGA Nation on the rise? Is the silent majority no longer silent? Answers, at least beginning to have answers tomorrow. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, time for the last sip. A uh, quick question. Is there voter fraud uh, that just took place in the election? Well, uh, the media says, give me a break. No, but they really should listen to Joe Biden, right? Didn't he say that? Have a look. Secondly, we're in a situation where we have put together 
And you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. There it is. There it is. Uh, voter fraud Joe, from Joe Biden's mouth. Oh, you go vault. Hey, look, by the way, uh, we figure we have a little fun. Uh, shockingly, we're having some fun at the water cooler uh, because, look, it, it's been a little heavy, a little ta- toxic. So, so I want to play this clip. We found this on YouTube. It's from uh, the United Spot. Uh, they do some satire. Great stuff of the Democrats talking about that voting system, you know, the software, uh, the Dominion voting systems, software glitch. Uh, here, here are Democrats for you. Democrats are hardworking people. We don't cheat. Everyone out there thinks that their vote matters, but the only votes that matter are the votes that we say matter. Uh, you know, without these 100% accurate voting machines, people would still be talking about Obamagate, Hillary's emails, and Hunter's laptop. I just can't wait to work with Joe Biden. <laughs> you put your Trump vote in the software and the Joe vote comes out. You put your Trump vote in the software and the Joe vote comes out. You put your Trump vote in the software and the Joe vote comes out. Uh, you put your Trump vote in the software and your Joe vote comes out. You put your Trump vote in the software and your Joe vote comes out. <laughs> Just in case, if I have to translate that for you, uh, you put your Trump vote in the software <laughs> and the Joe vote comes out. And then, you know, there you have it. Uh, a little levity here, uh, because look, it's serious stuff, right? I mean, did the Joe votes come out when you put the Trump vote in? I mean, that's the big question uh, that a lot of folks are asking. Well, actually, now that I think about it, how many folks are really asking? Because the media is not asking. Uh, the New York Times is up with headlines saying there is no election fraud. And then, of course, uh, you've got... Uh, uh, election officials as well saying that. But just real quick, so when I look at those articles and I see that election officials said that, um, most of them are Democrat officials. There are a couple Republican officials, but wait for it. The Republican officials the New York Times is talking to are from states like, oh, I don't know, Kansas. Uh, they're not talking to folks in Georgia and Arizona and all this. But anyhow, look, if you put the Trump vote in the software, the Joe vote's coming out, I guess.